we went on a trip uh, a week ago, just came back from the trip, and we went to see, uh, we went to Michigan to see my family. Love to go into Michigan, love seeing my family. With COVID, haven't seen them in over two years, and so it was a nice break to go and spend some time in my old home state of Michigan, in my old hometown, uh, enjoying uh, seeing friends and family. And I gotta tell you, I gotta be honest. I have to be honest. We need to be honest with one another. I gotta be honest. When I go back to Michigan to visit, there's this draw for me. Going back to my home state, the place that I grew up in, my hometown, there's this draw for me, draw for me to come back. You know, what would it be like to just move back there, to be back there, to be at this, these places I enjoy, these places that I remember? The, the beach on Lake Michigan being 30 minutes away and, and uh, being in a place, a city that's thriving and booming now and, and being in a place that's really, really moving. Uh, and what that does is when I do that, I find that my vision is clouded. I find that my vision is clouded. The, the vision of where God has placed me, what God has asked me to do, and I find that uh, if I'm not careful, my vision can be clouded. Maybe you've experienced that in, in a, with, with a job and looking outside that job to something greater and better or, or a, your own place where you've either like to visit or you uh, have lived in the past and you're drawn back to that. But we can, ha- we can allow our, our vision to be clouded in those moments and we can be careful during those times when we're we're having those thoughts when we're thinking those thoughts and we're dreaming about that are we dreaming to run away are we dreaming to to go where god is sending us i truly believe that god sends us to places calls us to certain places and we wouldn't be in new hampshire if that weren't the case but oftentimes our visions become clouded Jesus puts us in a place, he calls us to a place, and he expects us to catch his vision for that place and for the people living in that place. Now, vision's a buzzword for churches right now. Talk, you, know, you think about mission, strategy, uh, plans, goals, things like that. But what we want to talk about today is having a vision, seeing people the way that Jesus saw, the way that Jesus sees people. Why? Why would we want to do that? Well, simply put, because we are Jesus people. We are Jesus people, and we want to have the vision that Jesus had for the people around us. I want to read a couple of passages here. Galatians 2, verses 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead I'm dead. I've experienced death through the sacrifice that that Christ made for me. Christ lives in me. He goes on, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live because of Christ Jesus. And, And he's asked us since we live through him to have the vision, to 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 have the action steps that that Christ had for the people around him. Today's passage, we're going to turn to Matthew 9. If you've got a Bible or you look on your phone, uh, whatever, however you read the scriptures, follow along. Matthew 9, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And it says this, 
Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Sometimes our vision gets clouded. Sometimes we have tunnel vision. Tunnel vision meaning, you know, think, I'm, I think of the, the blinders on those horses that draw carriages, right? You get those blinders on, all they can do is focus for it. Sometimes we have tunnel vision, and, and there's a negative side to tunnel vision that when we have tunnel vision on, and we're pursuing the plans and the opportunities and the goals and desires for us that we have, we can become so focused on that, we miss all of the cues around us, right? We, we miss everything else going on around us. Jesus, on the other hand, he had tunnel vision, but it was in a positive way. He was laser-focused on the will of God, uh, the, the will of his Father. And this is what he calls us to do as well. And I want to look at uh, what Jesus did during this particular time in this passage. And I want to th be thinking about it as his pattern. This is maybe one of his patterns. We want to talk about the, the what and the how, uh, uh, what he did. But we also want to talk about the why, because the why takes us deeper. The why gives us understanding about what we're all about, what we're called to do. But the what and the how, uh, we want to look at that. What does it say that Jesus was doing? It says that Jesus was uh, continuing to go around all the towns and villages. This is verse 35. Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Here he is. He's teaching. He's preaching, and he's healing. Teaching. I look at this as, as Jesus is showing them the world, the way that the kingdom is supposed to work. This is the, what the kingdom is supposed to look like. If you're going to be kingdom people, this is how you act. This is what you think. This is how you respond to the community around him. This is how you follow God, your king. He's teaching them about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. He's preaching. He, he's, he's preaching them. He's inviting them in to experience the kingdom of God. All right, we, we see this on Sunday mornings. We love the teaching and preaching, right? We go, we go to church for the teaching and preaching, and we want to learn more about God's word and his kingdom, and we want to invite people in to that kingdom. And we do that. But Jesus goes further still. Jesus is action-oriented. He doesn't just leave them on the hillside and say, yeah, no, I've given you a good word. Hey, if you were able to come and join us and, and hear my teaching and, and the preaching, that's great. If you missed it, ah, you can catch me next, next Wednesday. I'll be over there or next Sunday here. No, Jesus then goes a step further and he says he healed every kind of sickness and disease. Some translations say every sickness and disease. Uh, the, the side note really means that every kind of sickness and disease. He was, it doesn't mean that he was healing every single person in that town or that, that village, it just really means that God had control, has authority over whatever is happening in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of trouble you're experiencing, what kind of disease or affliction you might be experiencing. God is still sovereign and in control and greater than that experience where, that you're going through. So what was he doing? He was teaching. He was showing them what it meant to be in the kingdom of God. He was preaching. He was inviting them into the kingdom of God, and he was healing. He was taking steps to meet the physical needs, the practical needs of the people who were coming and following him.
Why was he doing it? This is, this is where we want to focus. This is where we want to, what we want to really look at today. Why was he doing it? In verse 36, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw, this word saw, it means not just a, a quick glance or you just perceive real quick with you, your eyes as you look around. No, you, 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 it's not just seeing with your eyes, it's understanding. It's understanding the situation. Jesus understood where these people were coming from, what they were experiencing, what they were struggling with, where, where their joys were, where their hopes were, where their struggles were. He saw that. He saw all of that. Speaking of tunnel vision, we talked about tunnel vision a, a minute ago. Uh, while we were out on our vacation, I, I like big cities. While we were out on our vacation, we got to go to Chicago. It's a pretty big city. I love big cities. You know, being around here, getting to go to, to Boston or travel down to New York City. But this time when we were out by Michigan, it was only a couple hour drive to Chicago. So we took a day trip to Chicago. I love walking around big cities. I hate driving around big cities, but I love walking around big cities. There's a couple different ways that you can walk around a big city. If you're a tourist, a lot of times, and you see these people all over the place, tourists, and they're, they're on their device, they're on their phone, and they're texting, and they're, they're, they're mapping out, and they're, they're searching, and they're doing all this stuff on their phone, and they're walking around like this just to find out where are they going. What happens when you do that? You miss everything else around you. You're so focused on that, that, that little bit of information of the here and the now and, and trying to get to your destination safely and securely. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what you see these folks on the streets and all they do is this and they just kind of make their way around the city, but they miss everything that's going on around them. I don't like to do that. When I'm, on a big, when I'm in a big city, I like to try to fit into the city life. So actually, I'm a really slow walker when it comes to life. You get me on the trails with my family and man, I'm, I'm slow, I'm behind, I'm having to catch up to them. When I get into a city, I become a fast walker. Why? Because everybody else around me is walking fast. They're, they know what they're doing, they know where they're going, and they go. In fact, I, I will walk in a city and try to blend in with the people on the streets and I will walk. And then I realize, oh, back there was my my, my intersection, my change, where I had to turn and, and, and turn a corner or whatever, instead of like stopping, turning corners, boom, you just keep going, find the next one, find the next one, and go around. You just want to keep walking, keep moving. I, my, my philosophy is I don't want to be the tourist who looks like they're ready to get mugged. I want to be the person who's prepared and looks like they know what they're doing in the city and they're not standing around waiting for the pocket to be picked. And, you know, coming to an intersection of the big city, you get the lights, you get the, 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 hot, the, the stop, the hand, and the little guy that pops up when you can walk. And, and the tourists, they, they stand on the corner and they wait and wait and wait. No traffic's coming. They wait and wait and wait for that little man to pop up on that sign. And then they can go. And then it's, in, then it's wait, wait, still, we still got to look. We still got to look. All right. And then the numbers start counting down. Okay, we get, we're across the street now. No, no, no. Yeah, big city, you look and you see that hand flashing up there. Stop, stop, stop. Don't walk, man. No cars. Man, we're walking. We're walking. We're, we're going. We're going. But doing that, if you're not careful, walking fast, going, just hopping around the city can also cause you to, to miss the cues, miss what is going on all around you. Seeing the details, 
seeing the details of a, a city usually requires you walking and moving at a slower pace. And I think Jesus was one who, who walked at a, a slow pace. Not to say he didn't run from a village uh, to a village or whatever on occasion, but I think Jesus was a man who his... The, the way he carried himself, the, the, the way that he did things, it was all so that he could see what was going on around him so he could better serve those who were around him. Jesus was actually able to see so that he could notice, he would become aware of what was going on and he could see to understand, not just to see, to get a glance and, and move on. He saw them, and when he saw them, it says he felt compassion for them. Compassion. This word compassion is, is a, a deep, deep word. It wasn't just, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I feel bad for you. Oh, you know, good luck, that kind of thing. No, that's not compassion. That's not the compassion Jesus felt. He, he felt compassion. This is a, a gut-wrenching gut-moving experience. Me having a gut disorder, disorder, when the gut moves, man, all the attention goes to what's going on in the gut. And Jesus, all his attention went to what was going on with the people around him. He didn't sit around saying, oh yeah, I feel sorry for you, but if you make better decisions, then uh, maybe you'll make it. Maybe you'll survive another day. No, he says he had compassion on them, deep compassion. We see this idea of compassion fleshed out in other places in Scripture, some stories that Jesus tells, as well as some other experiences that Jesus has. Luke seven thirteen is a story about a mother who had lost her son, and, and Jesus sees her, it says, and he had compassion on her, and he said, don't weep, and he's going to actually bring her son back to life. Jesus has compassion for those who have experienced loss. Jesus tells a story about a prodigal son, a son that, that told his dad, hey, I want my inheritance now, which really meant in that time and day, hey, I just want you dead. I want what's coming to me, and then I'm going to go do and live the way I want to go and live. And his, his, his father actually gives him his inheritance and, and allows him to walk out the door, um, but then he gets himself into trouble. And he's contemplating, hey, you know what? My, my father has servants, and you know what? I'd be better off. I'm, I've squandered everything. I, I'm living in the pigsty. It'd be better if I just went to my father and begged and pleaded to become one of his servants, one of his hired hands, and live in that, that hired hand house off to the side, and at least I'd have food. And so it says, Jesus tells a story, and the son is on his way home, and he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. And the passage says his father shut the door, locked it behind him, and said, yeah, I want nothing to do with you. No, no, that's not how the story goes. He saw him, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. He embraced his son who had just told him, I want you dead and I want your stuff. The father sees him, runs after him, embraces him. Jesus has compassion for those who are lost. Jesus has compassion for those who are lost. Jesus has a compassion for those who have experienced loss. He tells another story later on, Luke chapter 10, 
he says, uh, this is the, the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan story, a very famous story as well, where someone's been robbed and beaten and thrown on the side of the road, and all the religious leaders from, um, from uh, the Israel, they, they walk on the other side, totally ignoring him because they don't want to get dirty, and, and here comes the Samaritan, who is the enemy of this Jewish man. He says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man in trouble, he had compassion. He was moved in his gut for this man, his enemy laying on the side of the road. Jesus has compassion even for his enemies. He's got compassion for those who have experienced loss. He's, he has compassion for those who are, are lost. He has compassion for his enemies. And do you notice here, it's not just he goes and there's teaching in this story and hey, you know, this is gonna, how you're going to lift yourself up into a better position. No, there's action. Jesus brings healing to the mother who is hurting by healing and, and bringing back her son. You see a father running out to, to meet and embrace the son who has returned. You see a man who picks up his enemy off the road and, and treats and cares for his condition. True compassion calls us to action. Why? Why? Jesus shows us. He says he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, dejected, and sheep without a shepherd. Distressed. They were, they were, they were so affected by the life around them, their, their, their social structure, where they were, if you say, on the totem pole or in the food chain. Life had beaten them down. They, they were slaves to a world system that was conquering the world, and they were just this, this little bitty piece who had been conquered, and they were living as slaves to this empire. They were, they were, they were slaves to a religion without their living God, doing the, the acts of religion, trying to appease their God, but their living God was not in the midst of those acts. They were distressed. They were dejected. Dejected is not just like, oh, they were depressed and, and kind of bummed. No, they, they were cast away. Dejected means they were cast away, cast aside, thrown away on the rubbish pile of life. They, they, had, they had been given up on. They had been given up on. And Jesus says, I, I have compassion for these people. They were like a, a sheep without a shepherd. And this is like he's, he's pointing them to what like a, a domesticated sheep. His life is like without a shepherd, wandering around, blown by the wind, trying to find the water hole, trying to find the grass on their own, not having the resources that they need to experience life and to survive. They're distressed. They've been given up on. They're dejected. They had actually been cast away, put on the rubbish pile of life. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. They did not have what they needed to survive or thrive. Is there a chance, church, that we may be suffering from tunnel vision right now as we interact with the world around us? Is it more of pointing fingers? Or is it more of, oh, we actually are experiencing the compassion that Jesus had for the people who are around him? Jesus calls us to have the same vision that he had for the people who are in our circle. And he's, he's called us to follow his example. And he says in this passage, he said, then he said to his disciples, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. The harvest is abundant. The, the fields are, are ripe for a harvest. 
but the workers are few. Pray for the workers of the harvest. Pray that that workers will be sent out into the harvest. We see these fields ripe, and he could have been pointing to wheat fields or whatever. We've got fields around here, uh, corn and wheat and stuff like that. You you think about a field, let's say that cornfield that's just abundant, overflowing. This is what it means. It's overflowing. It's more than normal. It's exceeding expectations, more than normal. And then you don't have the workers to go in and actually harvest that corn. What happens? The corn dies on the stalk. It rots and dies on the stock and it's of no use it's of no value and he says the 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 folks out there the people out there are like those fields they're dying on the stock because they need to be brought into the kingdom of god they need to be invited into the kingdom of god he says the workers are few and he calls them he says pray to the lord of that harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Pray. And sometimes we, we, we do enjoy doing that. We, we do come together and we say, oh Lord, please send people out. We, we're, or Lord, we're so thankful for the missionaries who you have sent out. But what's interesting, after he says to pray for the, the, the workers to go into the fields, the next thing he does in the next chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, he summons and he commissions his 12 disciples to go into the fields. So he says, pray for those workers, and then Jesus says, oh, by the way, it's you. You are the worker. The answer to your prayer about sending workers into the field, oh, that's you. You're set for the job. I've given you the tools. I've given you the resources. I've given you the responsibility. You've prayed for it now. Now the answer is you. You are the workers. And then in the next chapter, he's going to instruct his workers on how to do it, how to go about it what to look for, how to stay safe, giving them the tools and the resources they need. But he says the answer to the prayer is you. Don't look around at your neighbors. Don't expect this person sitting in the seat next to you to be the one. He is going to be called to because his answer to the prayer is him. Jesus says the answer to your prayer is you. You go into the fields. And we want to follow the model of Jesus, where he says he taught and he preached. We want to follow the, the direction that we, that we get from God's word on how to live a, a good and holy life, a life pleasing to God. He preached. We want to, we want to know we, that we are secure in our position in God's kingdom. And we act out of compassion, as Jesus acted out of compassion in this example, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, because the Lord is sovereign. And overall, those, those fields that are right for the harvest, the Lord is sovereign. And he's just asked us to go into the fields with him and for him, to invite other people into this beautiful thing called the kingdom of God, the family of God. There are real people with real needs out there. And the testimony of the church throughout the ages has been that of one who is taking care of the needs. Let me read this quote by Eusebius, a fourth century um, uh, church father. Uh, He says this, he writes this back in the fourth century. They were going through plagues and trial, a lot of what we've been going through. And this is the response of the church. He says this, the evidence of the Christian zeal and piety, their religion, the evidence of the religion was made clear to all the pagans. All the pagans knew about them and how they worshipped, what they worshipped. Why? For example, 
They alone in such a catastrophic state of affairs gave practical evidence of their sympathy and philanthropy by works. They actually did stuff. All day long, some of them would diligently persevere in performing the last offices for the dying and burying them. For there were countless numbers of people who were dying and no one to look after them. While others, Christians, gathered together in, in single assembly, assemblies, all who were afflicted by famine throughout the whole city and would distribute bread to them all. Don't have food? We're going to give you food. We're going to give you something to eat. When this became known, people glorified the God of the Christians. Listen to that. When this became known, when they saw these good works, people glorified the God of the Christians and convinced by the deeds themselves, confessed the Christians alone were truly pious and God-fearing. It doesn't talk about how they taught or what their expectations were for the government, or what their feelings were around cultural issues, or if they liked the ruler in power or not. None of those things were in this testimony. Throughout it all, the trouble, the strife, the disorder, the chaos, what marked the church was what they did to minister to the community around them. This is our heritage. This is our testimony. This is what we get to live out in the world around us. Is there a chance that we are suffering from tunnel vision? How can we jump on that compassion train today? Well, first and foremost, Jesus says, pray, pray. This is a weapon of the church. We, we pray, but we don't just pray for others. We pray for ourselves. Lord, show me who I need to minister to today. Lord, bring someone into my circle today that I can share the gospel with. And he will. If you pray for that, he will. He will. He won't leave you hanging. And then it's our job to then take up the mantle and share the good news of the kingdom of God. Take care of the needs of those who come to us. Jesus wants us all to experience the, this a compassionate life. And this may be a struggle. If I help someone else, it may mean that I have to give up something of my own to help someone else. That, that could be a real struggle for some of us. This may, having a life of compassion may actually expose judgment. It's hard to help someone when you're on the sidelines hating them. It may expose judgment and condemnation in our hearts for other people if we walk down this road of compassion. But it also will give us great joy. It'll give us great joy because we are able to give and actually walk in the footsteps of Jesus, our Savior. And there may be struggle. It may expose something in our own lives that we need to change, that we need to let the Lord to work on and root out in our hearts. But it'll also give us great joy. And we can do this individually. Uh, we all have our own daily activities. We walk through the day and, and there will be people who come into your life who would never come into my life and vice versa. Those who come into my life never cross your path. Those are the people that we get to minister to personally. 
and affect and bring change to their lives personally and individually. There are things that we can do together. So we've, we've set out a couple initiatives for the church of hurting communities in our area, and we're going to do this work together as far as giving time, resources, and effort to those, to those needs. And sometimes it just takes walking and, and taking that first small step. If you've never done this before, if you've never looked and, and actually stopped and looked and taken in the needs of your community, this may just be a first step, a small first step. But what I found is that as we take those small first steps, it leads to another step and another step and another step. And then all of a sudden you're walking and all of a sudden you're running. And then all of a sudden, our community is changing because we're all doing this together. Lord God, we come today and we want to be people who are deeply moved and feel compassion for those who are around us, just as you did, Jesus. We want that to be our heart. We want that to be our vision. We want that to be our desire as well. And so please, Lord, root out all of those things that that get in the way, our selfishness, our stinginess, greediness, coveting, judgment, hate, whatever it may be, Lord, we ask that you would root those out of our lives. Help us to, 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 to cast that aside so that we can truly see the needs of the community around us and to meet those needs, not just to sit on the sidelines and say, oh, well, good luck, we hope you make it, but no, to, to dive into people's lives see their needs, and then actually be there to meet their needs. We come just asking you as a body, please, please help us to move in that direction. And we can only do it by the power of the Spirit, which you have provided to us. We thank you for that, Jesus. We come in your name. Amen.